Good morning, brothers and sisters. It's a joy to be together again this morning, to meet together and worship God and hear from God's Word. Please turn with me to Psalms 24. Uh, Psalms 24. Psalms 24, it reads, A Psalm of David. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart. Who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who seek him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come in. Who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. Amen. Amen. Brothers and sisters, Psalms 24 is the gospel according to King David. And that's my title this morning. That's the title of my sermon this morning. The Gospel According to King David. The Bible tells us that David was a warrior. The Bible tells us that David was a poet. That David was a musician. That David was a king and a ruler of God's people. The Bible also tells us that David was a prophet. In Acts chapter 2, verse 13, Peter's sermon on Psalm 16, he calls David a prophet. And for time together, I want us to see how David is preaching the gospel in a prophetic manner here in Psalms 24. Now, the context for this psalm is found in 1 Samuel. In in, in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 12, we see it says there that the sons of Eli were worthless men, for they did, not, they did not know the Lord. As the passage continues in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 17, it tells us that the sin of the young man was very great in the sight of the Lord, for the man treated the offering of the Lord with contempt. As the narrative continues, Eli rebukes his sons, but they would not listen to him. And we find these sobering words coming from Eli as he speaks to his rebellious sons. He says, if someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? The book of Samuel tells us that Israel went out to battle against the Philistines. Israel suffered defeat in the hands of the Philistines. And the sons of Eli were killed and the Ark of the Covenant was captured. The Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of God's presence amongst God's people. And with the Ark of the Covenant captured, we hear these words of lament coming out of the daughter-in-law of Eli. As she says, Ichabod, 
the glory has departed. Now as the story continues, it tells us about King David who goes now to go conquer in battle and he reclaims the Ark of the Covenant and he brings it back to the nation of Israel. It is in this context that David pens Psalm 24. It is in this context where we see the, the sons of priest Eli approaching the presence of God with reproach. We see a nation in crisis The glory of God has departed amongst God's people. And the big unsettling question coming out of the mouth of Eli is this. If someone sins against the Lord, who can intercede for him? Friends, often we we look back, we look at Israel and we, we we snub at them and we look down at them. We say, how could they do that? How could they forsake the God? who did so much for them? How could they forsake the God who cared so much for them? How could they turn away from God to worship idols? How could they forget what God did for them? How could they do that? And the Bible tells us that we are like them. Romans 3.23 tells us so clearly that for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. It says we have failed to meet the requirements that God set for us. And now as we turn to the gospel according to King David, I want to ask this question. What do we need to know in order to be saved? What do we need to know in order to be saved? From verse 1 and 2 of Psalm 24, we need to remember who God is. What do we need to know in order to be saved? We need to remember who God is. The psalmist is recalibrating our thoughts about who God is. Look at that, verse 1 and 2. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and those who dwell therein. The psalmist is telling us here that God is the majestic creator and sustainer of everything and everyone. The psalmist is telling us here that God owns everything, that God is the creator. Observe verse 1. It gives us the scope and the range of God's ownership. The earth belongs to the Lord, as well as the things that make the earth work. In other words, the earth belongs to God and every single thing that is in it. God owns everything. Genesis 1.1, it, it, it shows us that in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Remember who God is. Psalm fifty. Verse 10 to 12, for every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. In Job 41 verse 11 says, who has first given to me that I should repay him? Whatever is under the whole realm is mine. A song puts it this way, the perfect wisdom of our God revealed in all the universe. All things created by his hand, all held together at his command. He knows the mysteries of the seas, the secrets of the stars are his. He guides the planets on their way and tends the earth through another day. Brothers and sisters, we need to remember who God is. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone and everything. God made all planets, made all all stars, all galaxies. 
God made all things material and immaterial. God made all things seen and unseen. God is the source of all things. God is the force of all things. And God is the boss of all things. Remember who God is. First Chronicles 29.11 puts it this way. Yours, Lord, is the greatness and power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven is yours. Yours, Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Look at verse 1b. For the world and those who dwell therein. I want you to pay attention to God's special creation here. Man was created last in God's creation to mark his significance. We see in creation for the first five days, God says, let there be, let there be. And yet with creation of man, we see a change in this language. God says, let us make man in our own image and likeness. This sets men and women apart from animals. Men and women made in the image of God, made to know God, made to commune with God, made to love God, made to love God, and to live for God, and to worship God. Man was made to submit to God. Man was made to give glory to God. St. Augustine puts it this way, he says, You have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Remember who God is. God is the creator and sustainer of everyone. We see the legitimacy of God's ownership in verse 2. For he has founded it upon the seas and established it upon the rivers. We live in the world where there's warlords and criminals who forcefully take what does not belong to them. We live in the world where there's dictators who use force to make others give up their possessions. But God's ownership is legitimate. He made us. He made us for a purpose. And that brings us to the second point. What do we need to know in order to be saved? Remember who God is. And second, remember why God made us. Remember why God made us. Let's look at verse 3. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? This verse gives us insights into our main purpose for our existence. This verse gives us the core of God's intention for creation. God made us to glorify him and to enjoy him. He made us that would be full of awe and wonder about the majesty of him and bring praise to him. He made us so we can respond appropriately and affectionately toward him. J.C. Ryle puts it this way. He says, the glory of God is the first thing that God's children should desire. It is the object of one of our Lord's own prayers. Father, glorify thy name. It is the purpose for which the world was created. It is the end for which the saints are called and converted. It is the chief thing we should seek. God made us for worship. God made us for worship. And what do we know in order to be saved? Remember who God is. He's the majestic creator. Remember why God made us. He made us to worship. He made us to worship. 
And now this verse brings us to our third point. Since God made us and God made us to worship, then what is our problem? What is our problem? Identify your problem. That brings us to the third point. Identify your problem. The problem of man is stated in question and answer format. Look at here, verse 3 to 6. Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? It is he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. Friends, we know that God made everything. We know that the ownership of God is legitimate. We know the purpose of God for creation. We know that God made people in his own image for a special purpose, to enjoy him, to worship him. So the question is asked here by the psalmist, who should approach before God to worship him? Who should approach before God to worship him? What must the answer be? Everyone, everyone should approach before God and worship him. But we have a problem. Let's identify our problem together here in verse 3. Verse 3 here it says, Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? Verse 4 highlights this problem. It's he who has clean hands, clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. You see, the psalmist is asking one question, but he, he's asking it twice. He, he says, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord? Oh, and while he is there, who will even dare to stand in the holy place? In, in short, the, the, the psalmist is saying, who is it that is qualified to dwell and commune with the holy God? This is the ultimate question that leads to the ultimate problem. Who is it that qualifies to dwell and worship God? Well, he doesn't leave us to our own means and to figure out the answer for ourselves. Verse 4, he gives us the answer to this ultimate question. It is he who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false and does not swear deceitfully. David gives us non-negotiable requirements for approaching God. Those who are qualified to approach God are those with clean hands. There are those with external purity, those who are innocent. It is one who acts right. It is one without fault. It is one who has fully obeyed everything that God instructed. It is one who has fully uh, who, who has who has fully loved God. It is one who has fully given themselves to God. Those with clean hands. He doesn't stop there. He says it's those with pure hearts. Those with internal righteousness. With holy thoughts. With pure intentions. See, David is not just happy to say it is one with external holiness. But it's also one with internal holiness. The, The kind of things that we cannot see. Matthew 5 verse 8. It says, blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Brothers and sisters, are you identifying your problem already? This is the high requirement for being accepted in God's presence. Well, as if this is not enough, the psalmist continues to pile up these non-negotiables. 
Who shall ascend the hill of the Lord and who shall stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, who does not lift up his soul to what is false. This, this talks about those who have, who have not lifted up their souls to an idol. It talks about those who do not desire vain things. Those who are not desperate for honors, for riches, for pleasures, for fame, for profit. It is those who have fully and completely obeyed the only true God. Are you beginning to see your problem? Identify your problem. King David concludes this section by this one more requirement. It is those who are those who can approach the presence of God, those who do not swear deceitfully. This refers to those who who make promises that they can keep. Those who don't say one thing and do the other. Those who treat their fellow men as they would want to be treated. You see, brothers and sisters, these four requirements do not only show us what God desires from men, but they also show us the vileness of sin. Sin makes us impure. Sin makes us foolish. Sin deteriorates and decays our thoughts, our feelings, our desires. Sin makes us to worship idols. Sin makes us to despise the majesty of God. Sin causes us to undermine our neighbors. Sin makes us deceive us and tricks us. What King David is doing here, he's pointing us to our main problem that stands before us and God. Our ultimate problem is that we were made to worship, but our sin prevents us from worship. Our sin stands in the way of us enjoying God. Our sin has created a gulf, a gap between us and God. See, brothers and sisters, this is why we exist as a church. To tell people that God is holy and we dare not approach him without a mediator. God is pure. God is pristine. He's undefiled. He's spotless. In the Bible, in Job 6.10 and Isaiah 40.25, God is referred to as the Holy One. Theologians refer to God's holiness as His beauty. Listen to how Stephen Channel puts it. He says, God's holiness is His beauty. Power is His hand and arm. Omniscience is His eyes. Eternity is his duration. His holiness is his beauty. Here's the point. God's holiness is his beauty. And how dare we approach this beautiful God with the ugliness of our sin. Our ultimate problem is that we were made to worship, but sin prevents us from worship. In this hopelessness, I want you to see glimpses of the gospel. Listen to this gospel vocabulary in verse 5. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. The person who will be accepted by God will receive what he needs from God himself. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. This is a glimpse of the gospel. This here shows us this gospel vocabulary, shows us what what we need in order to approach God. We need the righteousness that only God 
can provide. Remember who God is. Remember why God made you. Identify your problem. Finally, behold your representative Savior. Verse 7 to 10. Behold your representative Savior. Verse 7 to 10 says, Lift up your heads, O gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty, the Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. Brothers and sisters, in this picture, David prophesies here Jesus Christ as this representative king. He prophesies Jesus as one who who provides vicarious victory. He fights and he gives us the victory. What we see here in this image is a picture of heaven. We see Christ standing in the gates proclaiming victory for those who have trusted in him. We see here Christ proclaiming victory. And and those who are represented by him can come in through him. These gates are being called to open up as Christ rides in triumph. In Revelation 21, we are told that there's an angel assigned to each gate of the new Jerusalem. So with that picture in mind, we imagine an angel responding here. Who is this king of glory? And the answer is shouted back. The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Christ is mighty in battle because he conquered sin, he conquered death, he conquered the grave, and he conquered hell. Those who trust in him receive his benefits. It brings back to what it says in in verse 5. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. It is those who trust in the work of Christ who can receive the benefits of Christ. It is those who are represented by Christ that they can have access to God because of Christ, because of what Christ has has done, because of his works, because of his fulfillments, because of his accomplishments. We are qualified to approach God because of the accomplishments of Jesus Christ. And therefore, behold your representative Savior. Behold Jesus Christ. Behold Jesus Christ, look, look to him exclusively. Put your faith upon him alone. Trust in him and no other. If you are, you, are, you are an unbeliever here, you have not put your faith in Jesus Christ, your creator cares for you. Even if you have given yourself to some of the worst of the things that this world has to offer, He knows you are not fit for heaven. God knows that you are not fit for heaven. But his son has made a way for you to come in. Come to him today. Let him change you. Trust in him. And I want to give an encouragement for believers, for for those of us who have trusted in Christ. If you know Jesus then you'll be represented by Jesus himself. Christ himself, your king, will lead you in victory. Enjoy your God. Be confident in his provision. Remind yourself of what he has done. I want to close with this final point. 
Remind yourself of the gospel daily. Remind yourself of the gospel daily. Why is it so important to remind ourselves of the gospel? That's because by, by default, we think in conditional, uh, in conditional patterns. We, uh, by default, we, we follow the, the if-then principle. We think about our relationship with God as a relationship that is based on conditions that we must fulfill in order for Christ uh, we must fulfill in order for God to, to, ha- to have pleasure upon us. Brothers and sisters, we need to preach the gospel to ourselves so that we, we stop thinking along the lines of if, then. Now, let me give you an example. So, sadly, most Christians today think along these lines, that if I do what is right, then God will love me. If I give money to the church, then God will provide for me and give me a raise at work. If I avoid sinful habits, then I will be spared of suffering and humiliation. But the gospel calls us to live, to, to use a different framework of thinking. To think about this, to say because, therefore. Because, therefore. So because we have been justified by faith in Christ, therefore we have peace with God. Because Christ died for us, therefore we are forgiven. Because Christ has fulfilled the law for us, therefore we are set free from the demands of the law and the penalty of the law. You see, this is an unconditional relationship that is based on the principle of grace. Those who have trusted in Jesus Christ must not depend on their works to be accepted by God. And that's why we need to keep reminding ourselves of the gospel daily so that we are constantly thinking because, therefore, because God has loved me, therefore I can rest in him. Because Christ has died for me, therefore I can live a life of holiness. Because God is working in my heart, therefore I can grow in sanctification. Remind yourself of the gospel Move away from this thinking of conditional relationship with God. That because of our works, we can, we can impress God to love us more. Christ has fulfilled everything that we need from God. And therefore, we must remind ourselves of this gospel daily. What do we need in order to be saved? Remember who God is. Remember why God made you. Identify your problem. Behold your representative Savior and remind yourself of this truth daily. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask that the gospel pierce through in our hearts, that we would believe the gospel fully, that we would be committed to you, that we would not depend upon our works, that we would not trust upon our performance that we would behold and look at the glorious Christ who has fulfilled everything that is required for us to gain access to you. And we ask that this truth would be strong in our minds, would be strong in our hearts, that we would live for you daily and live lives that honor you and pursue you in all things. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thanks, brother. Okay, so along those lines, who shall ascend the hill of the Lord, and who shall stand in his holy place? Because Jesus had clean hands and a pure heart. The first 